Amen, amen. I'm so excited about the historic nature of this day. Today, we will ordain Bill Edens to pastoral ministry, adding him to our team of pastors, also known as elders or overseers. Bill will get started right away serving this family of believers as if he were not already doing so. In fact, one does not so much become a pastor by being ordained, but rather one who has already been serving as if he were a pastor is recognized as such through ordination. For the record, it was my honor to first suggest ordaining Bill, and although the rest of our pastors pretty much responded with great piety and holiness by simply saying, duh. <laughs> that said, know that we uh, carefully vetted him anyway. Right, so before we officially ordain Bill, which will consist of a very short ceremony at the end, I, I want to explain some things about what this all means. First, to understand ordination, we really need to understand what it means to be a pastor, biblically speaking. So first of all, what is the role of a pastor? In my view, the primary role of the pastor or pastors is to shepherd the church. The biblical word for pastor literally means shepherd. I hate to go to this level, but if you ever ordered tacos al pastor, what does it mean? In Spanish, pastor means shepherd. That is literally what it means. Now, the idea of spiritual shepherding has a lot to do with giving the church spiritual food from Scripture, thereby equipping the church for ministry. But shepherding also has to do with leading the church, which brings me to one of the most important things I want you to understand today. I've briefly mentioned it already, but I want you to understand that to be a pastor of the church is also to be an elder and an overseer of the church. In the Bible, we see elders, also known as overseers, leading the church. But the tricky thing is that we who serve in this elder or overseer role today are more often referred to as pastors, at least some of us are. You call me Pastor Mark, not Elder Mark or Overseer Mark. And while I personally prefer uh, the title of pastor, we do, not, we do need to understand that all of these terms in the Bible, though not synonymous, they kind of refer to different shades of the meaning of what we do. Though not synonymous, they refer to the same people. We have a youth pastor. Did you know that? <laughs> Sometimes youth pastors, they're just like, they're like, they're otherworldly. I don't know. They live in a different dimension, the one that the youth live in. I don't, I don't know. But Pastor James, wave your hand. He's over here, and he used to be in the kids' ministry so often that we seldom saw him. Out, I saw him out here, but lately he's been able to be out here more, thankfully, and you can uh, get to know him because you need to know that. We call him Pastor James. He's our youth pastor, but you need to understand also that that means he's an elder in our church. That, that means he's an overseer in our church. The same goes for our worship and discipleship pastor uh, and Connor and our other pastors without a specific title or job description. And whether they're paid staff or not, they're elders and overseers as well as pastors. Biblical scholarship is not the slightest bit unclear about the fact that pastor, elder, and overseer are biblically interchangeable terms for the same leadership role in the church. Now, where do, where do Bible scholars get that, and why does it matter? Well, 
I'll show you in a moment where we get it. But it matters because when you read about elders or overseers in the Bible, you do read your Bible, right? And when you come to those passages about elders and overseers in the Bible, you need to realize that you're also reading about your pastors. If you don't understand this simple fact, you might even find yourself asking the question I grew up asking, which is, why don't we have elders in our church when the Bible talks about elders? I asked those kind of questions as a kid. I know, I was weird. See, the Bible tells us that elders are those who have been ordained and set aside to lead the church. And elders and overseers are also those who the Bible says should be provided for by the church when needed, especially those who preach, as it says in 1 Timothy 5, 17. But don't miss what I'm saying, which is that if pastors are not elders, then I guess we're paying the wrong people. Not only that, but guess what else it says in 1 Timothy chapter 5 about elders? It says that elders who rule well should be honored. Okay, so I know the word rule is not going to be popular, but that is what it says. So who is to rule or at the very least lead the church? Answer, pastors, also known as elders, also known as overseers. The very ones who also must be able to teach the Bible. Hopefully you can see why it matters that we understand these three terms refer to the same role of leadership in the church. The Bible does not say deacons should rule the church, nor does it say there should be, for example, one paid pastor who answers to a board of elders as if the pastor were not also an elder himself and as if the other elders were not also pastors. In short, many churches have really messed this up in spite of the clarity of Scripture on the subject. How else does it matter that we understand these terms are interchangeable? Well, the Bible includes lists of qualifications for those who can serve as elders and overseers. But if pastors are something different altogether, little to nothing is said about us in the Bible. There are no qualifications for pastors if pastors are not also elders and overseers. If that were the case, we could say pastors can be just about anybody. And, of course, that is exactly what is happening in some churches. But the fundamental flaw is a failure to understand that pastors are overseers and elders. So please remember this simple truth. Based on our understanding of Scripture, and I know that Bill completely agrees because I've asked him, that the pastors are the elders and the overseers at Go Church. So, folks, nearly every passage of Scripture that defines my role uses the word elder or overseer rather than pastor in terms of the title. And, and yet, as I'll show you in a minute, in several places we can see that pastor is clearly another word for an elder or overseer. So the fact is that I'm currently functioning as the head elder on a team of elders who are called to lead this church, even though most people call us pastors. And while I don't believe that calling us pastors is an error, I recognize that this can be confusing. That is, if you do not understand or accept that these words are interchangeable. Now, let me show you why I believe these are, in fact, three biblical words to describe the same office. The case can be very very clearly from Scripture, and I'll attempt to do so as quickly as possible. First, let me give you the three words in question. As many of you know, the New Testament was originally written in Greek, and in the Greek, there are three words used to describe those who are to lead the church. I'll stick to the singular form and the noun forms uh, of these words throughout the discussion just uh, to keep it simple both for you and for me. So here are the three words. Poimane which is translated pastor or shepherd. 
in your Bible. Presbyteros, translated as elder, and episcope, translated as overseer, or if you go back, and almost all the translations now, overseer, but if you go all the way back to the KJV, they will translate it as bishop, which has caused a lot of confusion as well. But those are the three words. Now, on what basis do scholars come to the conclusion that these three words are used to describe the same role or office in the Bible? Well, as it turns out, these three words are repeatedly used to describe the same people. Inside the churches written about in the Bible, these three words are used to describe the same leaders of those churches. But let's hash this out by looking at specific Scripture. Look with me at 1 Peter 5, 1 through 2. Peter, who preached the first sermon after the resurrection of Christ and who basically planted the first church, later wrote this to the church. Therefore, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising, here it is, oversight. Not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. So much could be said here, but right now I want you to notice that forms of all three of the Greek words I mentioned are used in this passage. They're all three used to either label or describe the same office of spiritual leadership, which is clearly filled by the same body of leaders. These three Greek words are used interchangeably in this text. Elders, presbyteros, are to shepherd slash pastor, poimen, the flock, and also they are to exercise oversight, episcope in the noun form. So again, all three words are used to describe or label the same group of men who are leading each church. Now let's also look in the book of Acts chapter 20, where Paul has some final words for the elders of the church at Ephesus. From verse 17, Acts 20, Luke records, from Miletus he, talking about Paul, sent to Ephesus and called to him who? The elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, you yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia, how I was with you the whole time. And it's just several other things he says, but then skipping on to verse 28, he says this to the elders, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to do what? Shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Happens to be my favorite verse in the Bible, Acts 20, 28. It's so full of meaning. It has the Trinity in there. It has the reason that, uh, that the church came to be, that we were purchased with his own blood. So many wonderful things. But don't miss what I'm trying to point out today, that Paul calls together the elders, presbyteros, tells them to care for the flock, as both overseers, episcope, and shepherds or pastors, poiming. Again, all three words, elders, pastors, and overseers, are used to describe the same group of men serving in the same leadership role in the church. If we had time, I could show you similar passages in both 1 Timothy and Titus, but right now I want to mention one other thing. Please notice from both of these passages that it is clear that this body of leaders is supposed to be leading the church, not deacons not committees, not councils, not boards of church members, not the church at large somehow voting on everything. No, the leaders of the church are to be those who are set apart, ordained to serve as shepherd, elder, overseers, those who today are more often simply called pastors. Now, let me point out something else you may have already noticed in these passages. Apparently, there was most often a plurality of leadership 
in the church. Most of the time we read about a group of elders, not just one elder. That's why I believe that each church should have a team of pastors in leadership, if at all possible. This has not necessarily been the case in the history of earlier Baptist churches, of which I am a part and have been a part, but it has been our history from day one at Go Church. Even in our bylaws, we've got to have three. We've had three from the beginning. We call our body of leadership the pastor elder team or pet for short, I know. For the express reason that the pastors are the elders at Go Church. And as a team, we lead together. I will, however, also be forthcoming enough to, um, to tell you that even though that we are a team, our team has a leader, currently myself. And I believe having a leader for the leaders is biblical as well. People like Peter, Paul, Timothy, Titus, Silas, and others led churches, often by leading a team of elders who either backed them up or held them accountable, depending on what was needed. Now, let's move on to the second question, which has to do with how we know who should be pastors or elders or overseers in the church today. I'll start by telling you that every single one of our pastors believes strongly in the idea of calling. By the way, who are our current pastors? Well, myself, Randy, Connor, James, Bevan, and after today, Bill. All of us believe that God calls pastors to lead the church. Every one of us shares the conviction that God specifically called us into this ministry. And we could all tell our story, our calling story. So that's the second question. What does it mean to be called into ministry? I must be very brief on this. In fact, I'm going to mostly just recommend a book uh, this time for those who are interested. And that book is titled, Is God Calling Me? by Jeff Ord. You can get that on Amazon. I might have a few copies if you want one. But I want to be clear that at Go Church, we still believe that God has a specific uh, lifelong call that needs to be there for anyone claiming to be a pastor. I'll not ordain anyone to lead the church who doesn't believe he's called by God to be a pastor, period. In the Bible, spiritually, uh, spiritual leaders heard from God at some point. They heard from God. They got an assignment, and that is the point. Generally, before they started leading, biblical spiritual leaders heard from God. In practically every case, the person granted spiritual leadership had some kind of experience with God, wherein they somehow knew that He was calling them, setting them apart for a specific task. I do not believe this has changed. One place we can see this in the New Testament has already been referenced this morning in Acts 20, 28. We learn that the elders of the church are placed into their role by the Holy Spirit. Did you catch that when we read it before? What an unbelievable statement. And this is precisely what we mean by calling, to be set apart by the Holy Spirit for this work of service to the body of Christ. 2 Corinthians 2, 17 and following is another place you could look, and there are several other spots in the New Testament, such as Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 14, and even other places where the idea of calling is clear, even if the word is not used. The bigger point is that we have found ourselves in this position because God's plan was for us to be in this position. At some point, He let us know, and we chose to follow His plan. My personal calling has actually been received in four phases, all in different decades of my life. 
and all involving further clarification from God. When I was a child of about eight years old, I shared with our home church that I felt called to be a missionary. Several other times after that, I voiced that I believed God was calling me into some kind of ministry. But when I was 17, I had the big moment, the moment I referred to as my calling. I was at summer camp with our youth group and something washed over me that I cannot describe. But I, know, I knew, I knew with full assurance that the Holy Spirit was speaking in my heart. One of the things I tell people to try and discern if they're called, if you could do anything else, you're not called. I knew <clears throat> that the Holy Spirit was speaking in my heart. At that time, I absolutely knew He was calling me first to be a worship pastor. Sometimes you, there's phases, there's times of learning, there's times of growing. I changed course, changed colleges, wound up getting a master's degree in music. Um, for several years, I led the music ministries of some larger churches when I was young. But then God spoke again, and He called me to plant and pastor a brand new church, something I had never dreamed of before. Keep in mind, that was about 25 years ago. And also note, Christy, Christy received that call um, to plant along with me, not to pastor, but to help me plant the church. And so we planted our first church outside of St. Louis, Missouri, and we uh, stayed there for 12 years. After that, I was led to the beautiful PNW to pastor a, a church about half an hour north of here, but then came the fourth and likely final phase of my calling as the Lord asked me to step away from an unbelievably fruitful ministry and a large church. He clarified what He wanted from me yet again. I directly felt the Lord tell me, you actually had it right the first time, Mark. You are to be a missionary. If you wonder what a missionary is, that was what Paul was. If you read the little headings in your Bible, missionary journeys. What do you do on those journeys? Somebody got to know the answer to that. I've been preaching this for five years. What did he do on those journeys? Thank you. Planted churches. That's what missionaries do. And so God led me to plant another church, this church. But more than that, he called me to be involved in planting multiple churches, and we are seeing that happen before our eyes. Currently, this church is in the process of planting two more churches, both of which have their own pastors. And as you know, I'm about to go and do the next one myself because that is what I'm called to do. By the way, every single time I was called or every time my calling was clarified, major sacrifices were required. And that's a distinctive of God's call. You got to lay stuff down if you're going to follow God. Every time. If God is calling you, get ready to lay some things down, big things, like possibly your career. In Bill's case, he's retiring soon, but he knows that he'll wind up sacrificing to be a pastor one way or another. Because following God's call always costs. I need to go on to the last question, but let me make one thing clear today. God still calls. Maybe He's calling you.
If you're supposed to be a pastor, elder, overseer, or something else that will mean your entire life will be turned upside down, then I sincerely believe you will receive a clear calling from God. And I'm talking about a calling that is different than the general one to follow Jesus, which is a calling we all have. I'm talking about hearing from God in a very distinct way and following Him into a life of service and leadership for His kingdom. Now the third question. What does it mean to be ordained into the ministry? Let me put this as simply as I can. To be ordained is to have your calling from God affirmed by others who are called. To be ordained is to have your calling from God affirmed by others who are called. In the biblical narrative, those who ordained others were not just any people, but those who themselves had already been called and ordained. See, folks, ordination is a passing down of the mantle of spiritual leadership in the church. The biblical mechanism for deciding who is to lead in the church is that those who have already proven to be strong spiritual leaders affirm the next generation and so on. I do think it is also appropriate for the congregation to affirm as well. But what they are actually affirming is the affirmation of the other elders. Current elders are the very ones who should vet and ordain other elders. But where do I see this in the Bible? Well, for one example, in Acts 13, we can read that Paul was ordained, Paul and Barnabas, by who? They laid hands on them, sent them out, who? The leadership of the church at Antioch. And they did that through the laying on of hands, which I'll explain more in a minute. They were set apart and affirmed. They were sent out in their case to plant and pastor churches. Further on in Acts, you'll see Paul and Barnabas ordaining elders in each of the churches they planted. And still later, Paul told some of those he had previously ordained to ordain still others. Again, through the laying on of hands. Elders ordain elders on behalf of the church, and that is the way it was done. But if we as pastors and elders are supposed to bear the huge responsibility of ordaining further pastors and elders, how do we choose who to ordain? If someone says they're called, do we just believe them, put a rubber stamp on them and hope the church follows along? Obviously not. In fact, the Bible specifically says not to be hasty about this, but that people should be tested over time. This has been our practice and it's true of the one being ordained today. Bill Edens has not only articulated his call, but he has been serving in that calling without the title for something like two years in our church, and Bill actually served as an elder in a church previously as well, though they did not practice official ordination. Had they practiced official ordination, we wouldn't be doing exactly this today. We'd just be appointing him to serve in our church, but they didn't do that, and so we're going to do that. The point is that we have not been hasty, and we've observed, and we have tested, and grilled, and roasted, and picked apart, Brother Bill, and we have found him a worthy candidate, to say the least. But does the Bible give us any further guidance about who should be ordained? Absolutely, and quite a bit of it. But for the sake of time, I'll show you one of several passages we could look at. From Paul's first letter to Timothy, a church planner and pastor himself, chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, he's talking to Timothy about finding more elders for these churches. And Paul says, it's a trustworthy statement if any man aspires to the office of overseer, it's a fine work he desires to do. 
An overseer then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, not a fighter, but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? And not a new convert, so that he'll not become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. And he must have a good reputation with those outside the church, so that he will not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Now, very quickly, a few things. First, notice that these qualifications probably rule out a lot of good people, really good people. More importantly, please know that your current elders do not believe these qualifications rule out today's candidate, but rather they validate him. Also notice that those who would fill this role are to be men. Do I dare look at the congregation now or hide behind this iPad? I recognize it's controversial. Today is not the day to go on about it, but this text is clear that an elder is to be a man, the husband of one wife. This is not arbitrary or cultural. It goes back to the equal yet differing roles. Equal yet differing roles God gave men and women from the beginning of creation. I can't walk through all these qualifications individually today, but we did so in the vetting process. Rest assured, our council of elders examined Bill Edens. We looked at this and all the similar passages. We found that he meets or exceeds the qualifications, which quite frankly is no small thing to find in today's world. We have found a rare gem in Bill Edens. In short, this man will be, uh, this man that we will ordain today was far from haphazardly approved. He is truly a remarkable and godly man, and as much as can be found among a human, I believe he's above reproach. Now, at this point, I'm going to shut up and let Bill share with you, and I won't steal any of his thunder by telling you what he is going to say before he has a chance to talk. Let me pray for him first, and then. We will hear from this one who is being added to the team of elders leading Go Church Ridgefield. Pray with me. Father, I lift up Bill to you now as he uh, comes up. I, I know even as a preacher who's been preaching for so many years, uh, in, in a historical moment like this, I would, I would come up here a bit shaky myself, even after all my experience. Um, so uh, it's, a, it's a, an emotional moment for him. Uh, it's a long time coming. Uh, as your word says, it's a good thing to desire this. And I think that he, though he never really spoke it in his humility, I think he's been de desiring this type of a role uh, for a long time. And as I said, that's a good thing. But I know the emotions must be high. So I pray for Bill that as he comes up, he would be filled with your spirit, that uh, he would just know that we're not worried about it any emotions that are there. We're not worried about uh, the adrenaline that we know is flowing right now. That we just want to hear from him and just bless him and give him your spirit as he shares. And let it bless our church. Let it edify and equip our body. And um, just use him in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I'm green. Am I on? Okay, excellent. All right. 
Thank you, Pastor. Before I start, um, I wanted to share, elaborate a little more. I came up last month and shared my testimony, my calling, and then preached a sermon in 1 John, or John chapter 1. Today, I'm going to elaborate a little more on my calling and focus on that alone. And I appreciate what Mark was saying about sacrifice. As he said, I'm in the last year of my planned retirement coming in and what to put on the line as a pastor. Well, Paul says it very good. Sometimes you've got to put yourself on line. And he says in Galatians to the church, churches in Galatia, chapter 4, it's my dear children for whom I'm again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. That means walking with you as you grow until Christ is formed in you in whatever you're going through. Life can throw a lot of hard things at all of us. But I love what Paul says here because he's attributing this to a mother giving birth and the pain that's involved with that. And yet, as the writer of Hebrews says, the joy before him, he endured the cross. It means that the joy on the other side of walking through this together, Christ will be formed in you, and there's an unimaginable joy on the other side of that. That's what it means to put our lives on the line. So, on my calling, I'm just going to simply read this. It's two pages, it's not very long, but it does help articulate God's call in my heart. And so how does one describe God's calling to an individual? Even though many people are called of God, and I would say that it is from God in the common sense of the word, I also believe it's unique to each individual in the way that God has selected the man of God for his works of service. It's personal. As for me, God's calling is being summoned and seized with his love. 2 Corinthians 5, 14, 15 say, For Christ's love compels me, compels me, compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Now the word that was translated there is compels. It means in the Greek to be seized. And that's the best description I could give to you about God's call to me. It's not seized like being taken hostage against my will, but seized as one being rescued and brought back home. How powerful is this love? It's a, it's, it's, a, it's a power of love that seizes my heart that God won't let go of. He just does not let go of it. So how powerful is this? Love of God and Jesus the Messiah? Romans 8, 38, 39 explain it very well. For I am convinced 
neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God has commanded his people to be imitators of his character as dearly loved children. Ephesians 5.1 says that. Therefore, I choose to partner with God in my desire to grow in his love by imitating it, by showing you that the same kind of love from God that won't let go of my heart won't let go of yours either. How does this calling of God play out in all aspects of my life as pastor at Go Church? Well, I've selected, or actually, more accurately, cherry-picked, <laughs> five verses. I'm not expositing a sermon, so I'm just saying these verses speak to my heart of how God has spoken to me. The first one is in Ezra 7.10. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to practice it and teach it his statutes and ordinances in Israel. That's foundational. God has placed a heart of a teacher of his word to dedicate my heart to knowing God's word, to dedicate my heart to practicing God's word, to dedicate my heart to teaching God's word and on occasion preaching it as well. The second one is in 1 Corinthians 14, 3 and 4. But the one who prophesies, which means to bring God's message to you, speaks to people for the strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. And a big one that Mark mentioned earlier, Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That's powerful. And then what we call the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 19, and 20, Jesus said, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And then finally in Hebrews 13, 7, Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. To summarize these five verses in God's calling in my life, I would say this to you. I am fully convinced that God has called me to love my family, to devote devote myself to the study of God's word and to put it into practice in my life and to teach it 
to others likewise to strengthen, encourage, comfort, admonish when necessary, to equip and help edify the church to maturity, to help make disciples of the gospel that in turn make disciples. I desire that after my life on earth is over, that my family, my friends, and acquaintances will consider how I lived my life and will want to imitate my faith in their lives. Therefore, today is the day that I dedicate my heart to this calling, accepted as my lifetime calling from God. And for this, I humbly ask for your prayers. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask for your blessing on Go Church to be your salt and light, your hands and feet in the community of Ridgefield, to boldly proclaim your good news that in your Son, Jesus Christ, our bondage to sin and death is over. Because you rescued us from the dominion of darkness and delivered us into the kingdom of the Son whom you love, where there is redemption, the forgiveness of sins. I pray that we as a church continue to grow in the depth of your word and be a blessing to each other and to the people who come worship you at Go Church. In the name of your son Jesus, I pray. Amen. time we're going to practice the biblical method of ordination referred to in scripture as the laying on of hands. Um, the point is to demonstrate in this biblically prescribed way that we affirm, you can go ahead and sit down for a second because I got a couple paragraphs here to share and then we're going to do it. You don't have to sit down. I'm not trying to order you around. I just, you might want to. Um, I don't want to be overly uh, mystical about this, uh, this laying on of hands, but you should know that what we're doing today in laying our hands on Bill is what has been being done from the time when the first churches were planted. This ordination to leadership in the church has been passed down for at least 2,000 years. And so don't miss the historical nature of this moment. The laying on of hands by those who have previously had hands laid upon them is how leadership is passed down in the church of Jesus Christ. All your current pastors have been ordained in the same way at some point previously, and now Bill also. Before we do this, I do want to pause and take the blame for the fact that Pastor Randy could not be here today. Uh, I did not schedule this event far enough out, and as it turned out, his entire fall was filled already with his preaching that he does around in the different churches. And so I take the blame for that. Please know that Randy has signed Bill's certificate of ordination and uh, voted to uh, support this as it was obviously unanimous. Um, the rest of your current elders will take turns praying quietly over Bill as we lay hands on him. And so this is gonna be a time of stillness. Um, and I wanna ask the rest of you to be praying. Um, as we do, and it wouldn't even hurt if you at some point wanted to symbolically, you know, 
put your hand on Bill from where you're sitting and I wouldn't hurt anything either. But we're going to have this time of prayer and then after that we'll, we'll wrap up with a few things. Um, but uh, it'll, it'll be a time of quiet, so can we handle that? Or we're adults here, right? Uh, I just need a chair and uh, all the other elders, our, our current elders, to come up. And Bill, if you would come have a seat. And we're just going to take turns, pray over him, lay your hands on him, and uh, just one at a time. So, I'll go last because the last will be first, the Bible says. Let's pray. Ask uh, all of you, if you would, uh, if you affirm the ordination of Bill Edens, um, would you just give a hearty amen? Amen. 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 I, I still remember when we made the announcement that we were going to be ordaining Bill, and there was spontaneous applause. And it was just, it was so affirming. It was like, like I said before, I know it's kind of not, it's, it's maybe sacrilegious, but it's a little bit of a, duh right so uh leading small groups so well and men's ministry at times and other things discipling people uh just has been such a blessing to my life uh many times after sermons where he could have maybe said you know he might have been a little off here instead he's always found something encouraging to say and uh usually has something that i'm like man i wish they'd have told me that before i preached that was good so anyway, it's such a blessing, and we're excited about it. Last uh, little bit of ceremony, uh, I want to, Bill, if you'd come back up for one second, we're gonna, you're going to get your steps in today. Uh, I want to present you with, uh, your, this is your certificate that's signed by all of our elders, and then this uh, nice uh, Bible here that is, uh, it's in your translation, because I asked Vicki, and uh, the one you like the most. Uh, nice. And no, it's not in Hebrew and Greek, Bill. Uh, but it has Pastor Bill Edens uh, on, engraved on it. So I hope that's special for you. There you go. Bless you, brother. <laughs> encouraging. Very encouraging. Oh, amen. Thank you for that. That's awesome. I love this church. So after today uh, and going forward, the pastor elder team of this church consists of myself and five other pastors, Randy, Bevan, Connor, James, and Bill. Frankly, that's quite a team. We're so very blessed to have such leadership in our young church. Amen? God provides. He always, always provides. He may take away or send away, but he also gives. Don't miss what God has done here. He always provides exactly what is needed for his church. I'd also like to thank you for being so supportive as a church family. It's been said that a church is only as good as its leaders, but I would say the opposite is equally as true. Leaders are only as good as their church. We are in this together, doing our best to follow Christ. And this is why I have such high hopes for the future of Go Church, a future not about the advancement of our leaders or even our church, but rather the advancement of the kingdom of God. Could we be any more blessed? This is us at five years old. And let me tell you, this is basically unprecedented. The church and the leadership we have after five years 
is noteworthy. Noteworthy. God is blessed. There's nothing whatsoever wrong with being excited about our future, the one He's planned. I said recently that God brings His kingdom to those who keep His kingdom first. God brings His kingdom to those who keep His kingdom first. By the way, our church by itself is not His kingdom. His kingdom is bigger than that. God brings His kingdom to churches who keep His kingdom first. So far, so good. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the day. It's such a, a wonderful, wonderful expression of your providence, of uh, one who will help lead us into the future, who is, um, uh, yeah, yeah. Thank you for who Bill is and for his wife, for that matter. What a wonderful team. For just such a time as this, <laughs> I don't know, somewhere around two years ago they came. And enough, with enough time to establish themselves, to, to earn a reputation, to, to do ministry for just such a time as this. It's just how you provide. Your timing is perfect. We trust you. We thank you for this, uh, this, this special time today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to Go Church's weekly sermon podcast. If you enjoyed the sermon, be sure to rate and review us. If you want to learn more about the ministry of Go Church or catch up on previous sermons, check out our website, www.gochurchpnw.com. You can also connect with Go Church on Facebook and Instagram.